Hello, welcome to episode number 278 of the Apple Up Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you by AIXDSP.com. Uh, it's a basically a plugin company for, for digital audio workstations. Get affordable and useful plugins. Get the IC Intuition Compressor. It's a compressor that gives you a clear and intuitive visual display that shows exactly what is appearing in your audio at all time. Click the link in the description for more information. Amazon shoppers, you can support the show by shopping on Amazon. It's that simple. Go to applelog.ca slash Amazon or applelog.ca slash US Amazon. You can do it the old way too by going to applelog.ca and click on the banners located on the right side. Locate your country. Bookmark those links. And every time you shop on Amazon, use the links to shop and support the show. And it costs you no extra money. That's the goal. Patreon. You can support my work on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees. You can cancel anytime. Go buy a t-shirt, applelog.ca slash shop. iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. And give it five stars, please. Like and share the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash pod And follow me on Twitter at simonhead666. And I'm a little quiet on Twitter. I don't get Twitter, and I don't get Instagram either. Maybe I should, I don't know, comment. Let me know if I do. Who's on the show today, Mr. Cactus Vela? Cactus and I go back when I first opened my recording studio in the city of Toronto in the late 90s. He was one of the first people to come through the door and, and do some recording. He's He was an acoustic guitar player at the time, but he's also been in a bunch of bands. We're going to talk about that in the show. He's put out a two-song EP, which is uh, all the links and everything will be in the description. You'll be able to hear both songs on this podcast. Just a, a nice bloke. Ladies and gentlemen, Cactus Vela on the Apple Live Podcast. You were one of the first people to come to my studio in the city. <laughs> That's right. You were. I uh, I actually know the date. It was October 21st, 1997. Holy shit. Yeah, that was like, yeah, because I had moved in there. Was it around? Yeah, around September. And I think I was like jobless for like a month. And I think, and I don't know how that worked out. Because I don't think we ran in the same circles and just so happened you came in and started recording. That's right. I, If I remember correctly, I got a compilation. It was some Ontario punk comp. And I think your card or your contact or something was in it. You were affiliated with it somehow. Oh, was that Mihe Records? Yes. Yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. I know so, Eric and I go way back from Meathead. Right. So, um... You know, and you know how it is when you're a teenager, you examine every aspect of music and comps and stuff, right? So, and then I'm like, hey, there's a recording studio on Aus. Yeah, well, no, Dundas and Ossington, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Little, and little I'm Portugal. Like, and I contacted you and I could afford it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was affordable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I had a great time. I have the recording still. I just 
I, I won't release it because it's not that great. And that's no fault of yours. Oh, man. It's purely on me. That's, um yeah, I mean, but that's how long we've kind of known each other. That's mm-hmm. 23 years. That's right. That's insane. And you know, yeah. when you you know when you first start out, you go, "I've been doing this for five years," or "I've been doing this for ten <laughs> years," and then the big milestone is like, "I've been doing this for twenty years," but now it's like, "I've been almost doing this for thirty years," and it's like, "Holy right. shit, man! How did that happen? What happened?" Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. And uh, and so you you must not have been. How well you're younger than me, but not much younger than me, right? I'm guessing I'm between five and ten years younger than you. Yeah, uh, I'm fifty. Yeah, I'm forty-five. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you came to the studio, yeah, you were literally a teenager. That's right, and I was. Um, I think I had just moved to the city, or else I was still couch surfing at a punk house. But, uh, <laughs> and I probably I, I had this crappy. Um, classical guitar i brought in so you know classicals aren't that good for playing folk punk yeah but that was sort of a neat thing because it didn't really that wasn't really a thing that people did really as far as i'm as far as i know i mean we had billy bragg you know (laughs) and (laughs) and i don't know man like it's it's, who who were you following in those days to sort of get started the acoustic thing um Besides Billy Bragg, um, Leatherface had a couple of acoustic songs, yeah. and they're like probably my all-time favorite band. So, and no one else really was doing it. Bad Religion had a couple of unreleased acoustic songs that they're uh, embarrassed about. I think they don't <laughs> let them circulate. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it was just something that I gravitated to at a young age. Like I used to in high school. I would bring my acoustic guitar and sit underneath a tree and do like uh, Screech and Weasel and Operation Ivy songs. And the jocks and assholes would throw money at me <laughs> thinking they were insulting me. But I was like, yeah, thanks for the money, man. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. Where, where did you grow up then? Where'd you move? Where'd you move in from? York region. York region. Okay. Specifically. But yeah, York region. And yeah, I mean like, yeah. So I guess that would have been mid nineties ish kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like punk rock was always sort of the thing you wanted to do. Is it, is it a, is it a, it's a lifestyle, right? Like it's, it's not just music and it's, it's how we ethically move around in society now, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I got into punk at a time when it was still dangerous and it wasn't cool. Yeah. Right. Just on the cusp of it, uh, kind of getting a little more mainstream. Right. But, 1989 i guess i started getting into punk rock yeah saw bad religion a year later um at the opera house or at the yes yeah the opera house yeah was that Um, against the green tour yep yeah i saw i was at that show i was at the show the opera house yeah that was like bobby Shear's first tour i think the drummer yeah yes that's right yeah wow yeah yeah yeah, that was something else yeah that was one of those moments that uh you know, actually, against the grain to me was a, was a big life changer for me when it came to just music. You know, like against the grain's a great fucking album. I mean, the oh, suffer so no control, but against the grain just sort of nailed it all in, right? Like, mm-hmm. made it and all. It was the beginning of what they would start sounding like in later albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, suffer kind of started the thing, as far as I'm concerned. But and no control, but but yeah, like I just that fucking anesthesia. Uh, yeah, so good so good such a great record i i listen to that on 
on repeat the whole summer that record came out and didn't stop yeah yeah, yeah. me too and it was always in my walkman yeah the walkman yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh did you you have played in bands though right like yeah i've played in bands my whole life yeah uh, yeah and um I don't think so. We only started playing. We played some gigs together with fair amounts, and then I would have been in the class assassins at the time. Yep. Yeah, and we did some bands. We did some gigs then. Yeah. Yeah. But I played. Hmm? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I played with um, Trigger Happy in the mid '90s, but you might have been out of them by then. Oh, I was out. Yeah, I was in Red Fisher at that point in the mid. Well, the okay. mid '90s ish. I was actually I was touring with SNFU in the mid '90s, so that was my. I wasn't really playing in bands throughout like the mid nineties to like the late nineties. I I was just touring and doing sound and stuff. Right. Yeah, you, I didn't realize you were in Trigger Happy. I think everybody. No, I wasn't in Trigger Happy. Sorry, I was playing in a band that gigged with Trigger Happy. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I yeah. was in a band called Bomb Shelter. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all making sense now. Okay. It's all making sense. And um, so doing the solo thing was that sort of a just acoustic? Was that a lot of people do stuff like that just because it's it's easier <laughs> in a way like it's easier to try to mobilize so to speak yeah i always joke around that i'm you know i'm never late for practice and i'm never too drunk to play <laughs> <laughs> like i'm never <laughs> i don't have any there's no politics in my band yeah right um it's always something i did on the side like um and that way i never went without gigging like you know, some a lot of musicians, you know, you'll play in a band for a few years, you break up, you, you wait, you know, you put a new band together, maybe a year or two later, you start playing again. I always had my solo shit to play whenever a band stopped playing. Yeah. So, like, it just never stopped. I think I started doing this in 97, and I've always just kept on playing, whether I was in a band or not. Yeah. So it's uh, it's worked out really well for me that way. And it was, I always used to call it my retirement plan. Like yeah. when I'm when I'm too old to be in a band, I'll just start playing solo. But I just, yeah. Well, yeah, and you get to sort of express yourself more. Like being, I mean, being 20 and being in a band is 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 tough enough. Just the 20 part and the band part, you know, like because people are they have a whole different mentality about what it's like to be in a band or what it what you need to do to be in a band. And then yeah. as you start getting older, you start realizing that you know band's cool, but it also breaks up relationships and it it makes people broke and makes people drug addicts and it makes people yeah. get kicked out of their apartments. And sometimes, uh, you know, and who wants to be, you know, a 45 year old dude who is kicked out of his apartment on a regular basis. You know, we know people like that, you know, yes, we do. We do. I do. I'm sure we know, yep. <laughs> but it's, it's, <laughs> there's a time in life. And the thing about this show usually turns into like, there's a time in life when people start saying, you know what? I kind of like sleeping in a bed. I kind of like, being in my own place i kind of like stuff that normal people normal people like you know yeah was there time like that for you like and, and if there was when um about 10 years ago i guess i uh like if we go back further like um i don't know when sometime in uh maybe 2002 or so i left my career I was always I was still playing in bands, but I, I walked away from my career and I'm like, now's the time to try and just give a hundred percent to music, right? Yeah. And I started sinking ships, which was supposed to be like my dream band. That was gonna be my band 
but uh, right off the bat, it was kind of like <laughs> it was built to fail. Really? But anyways, um, and then I just started playing as much as I could. I played in three bands at once because I just wanted to gig and play and record and tour, and and it was great. But I, all those things that you just named a few minutes ago happened to me, like hitting rock bottoms and broke and jobless and everything you can think of. And I still kept a smile on my face and kept going. And about 10 years ago, I was like, okay, got to jump back on the career and find those things that make me happy besides music. Yeah. And now I feel like I have it all going on. I'm like, uh, but when people ask me if I'm going to go back and do these endless tours for no money again or anything like that, it's kind of, uh, I don't want to sacrifice the things that, the other things that make me happy. I have a, a wife and a kid and I have a, a home and a career. So there's a balance, definitely. That's right. You know, in being a musician, there's an inherent um, level of, of selfishness that goes along yes. with it. And one of it's because nobody believes in your art more than you, you know, and mm -hmm. nobody's going to support me or my, my task, even though same thing, I was in the same, actually this funny thing is almost 15 years ago, which is almost the same t chronological thing where it's like, you know what? I love music, but I don't love playing it anymore. And I don't love not having any money. And I don't love not being able to input in, into society. Those are the things I don't love, but I do love my home. I love my kids. I love my wife. And you know what? I kind of can get past on my job. And that was like 10 years ago. I was like, I can, I can live with my job, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but music, when a lot of people realize, I think at an earlier age that, Music's not going to pay the bills. It's not going to do that, you know. And it's no. it's this decision you make in life to say, well, you know, that's fine. I I can I can make art and enjoy and be broke and you know, people make those decisions. But you can change yeah. your mind. You can change your mind. Like it's not wrong, right? That's true. And when you realize that um, music can't pay your bills or doesn't always pay your bills, um, and then you learn to see it the way you saw it when you first started playing that's when you've achieved greatness in my opinion like like when i stopped i cut back about 10 years ago and i left my bands and just needed to like clear my head and now when i get together with some people and start jamming or when i gig it's just as much fun as it was when i was uh yeah. 18 years old again like yeah. i've gone full circle and that whole middle area there where i was you know giving it 100 percent and trying to get as far as i could with it that, that got ugly after a while, right? So yeah. now I found happiness, and gigging is awesome. Yeah, Putting out new music is, is great. It's a good feeling. Well, yeah, and as, as you get into your 30s, people start getting desperate. They start realizing, like, oh, shit, my, there's, a, there's, a, there's an expiry date on this. Especially yeah, with, and, like... Yeah, and competitive. Yeah, especially with, uh, with, uh, with music that... I mean, it's... Yeah, music... It's competitive, you're right, you know, and... There is an expiry date, and there is a time when you're like, you know what, it's probably not going to happen. But there's some people out there who who can accept it, and I think we're both people that kind of got it and understood. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I I get it. I'm not going to be Bon Jovi. I'm cool with that. But then again, yeah. I bet you Bon Jovi wakes up in the morning, and goes, I got to do living on a prayer again, like tonight at that casino. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I I don't think. You know, I, I can't sing the chorus anymore. I can't anymore. Let's lower it down, boys. Let's bring, yeah. <laughs> let's bring it down. You're living on a prayer. But there's like there's a time in life 
when everybody like even Bon Jovi probably wakes up in the morning and goes, Oh fuck, this is this is what I gotta do. Uh you know what I mean? It's a job to him now. You know? Yeah. And in the understanding of like the love for music and the suffering for your art, um, there's no compromise in there's nothing there's not a compromise in my opinion to to say, well, you know, I can write some really great music now because I have way more insight in life. You know? Nothing wrong with that. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So you've done this record. Little Rocket Records seems to put out every record always. They're like the new cargo. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> they just keep putting records out. Um so how did that how did that work out? Like how did you did you did you I think one's a cover in here, right? Is one a cover? Yeah, the what would be the B side is uh Old Crow Medicine Show yeah. cover. Yeah. Um I've known Graham for a while now. Yeah. Uh, who runs the label? We've actually toured together uh, when Sink and Chips went on tour with Leatherface, yeah, um, a handful of years ago, and we've always stayed in touch and see each other every year. And uh, I just sent him the songs. I just wanted to see what he thought of them. Yeah, and he was like, "I'll put them out." That's and amazing. for me, I was like, "Yeah," because it's uh, taken me a lifetime, but I'm finally on the same record label as Leatherface now. So <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, I can die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that and old yeah. wives. Old wives are on that label. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, same with um. There's some really uh, well, meditations on there. Yeah, uh, Davy Burden's on there. There's some good stuff. Yeah, and uh, um, is um. Oh shit, I I don't want to say his Coles. name. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of records that he puts out, and a lot of it's um. He does he does some physical releases, but a lot of it's digital, right? Yeah, and it's a great time to be doing digital music right now. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I have to, you know, because I do a lot of Little Rocket Records groups and bands and people, and it's like, it's astounding, you know? Like, there was a label in the UK years ago called Boss Tunage, and he used to just keep putting records out, and he put a couple of Foursquare records out, and I'm like, it's astounding how many records, and he was putting out physical copies, like CDs. Oh, wow. I was like, how the hell can he afford this? You know, <laughs> it's like, yep. <laughs> unbelievable. And, uh, but yeah, no, but that's, that's, there is something to be said about labels today because they've had to really, um, adapt to, to the change, you know? That's exactly it. it. It's actually kind of, it's really risky to put out physical copies right now with no one touring. Not like it, it's, there's only a select handful of artists that would be able to sell a record without hitting the road. Yeah. Or there's a, there's a, there's not many labels that, won't put out a record unless you're touring or unless you're committed to doing a certain amount of months per year touring because it's yes. pointless. And, you know, and I, I kind of came into it in the early 2000s when the fucking label industry just went, died, you know, like when the dawn of Napster and everything. And, uh, you know, I put out some records on a, on a Swedish label and they're like, you got to tour, you got to do it. And I was like, I was a new dad. It was, it was tough, but we did it, but it's like, I don't think we did the commitment that we said we would do, you know, to just tour. <laughs> I can't, you know, nobody can afford to just tour. And plus, in those days when you're older, it, Canada and the United States wouldn't even, you couldn't get arrested. So you had to go to Europe. You had to do things in Europe, which is like twice the price to get there and be there. But you're there, you know, you know, did you ever, did you ever, do you ever make it to Europe? No. Uh, well, actually, I played in Malta twice. <laughs> but, really? Uh, yeah, my family's Maltese, and I've, uh, both times that I've gone back home, someone's handed me a guitar, and I've done a little gig. That's like off the. Is that's off the off like somewhere off the coast of 
of Italy or something, isn't it? It's just below Italy, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right in the middle of the Mediterranean. I know somebody from there, actually. It's so funny. It's so small. He's a flamenco guitarist, Roger Scanora. Uh, he's like a famous, he's like, you know, he's a, f- a flamenco guitarist. He teaches at York University, but he's from Malta. Oh, wow. He's from Malta, yeah. yeah. That's why I know. They, I'm, not, I'm not super smart. I, I just know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows one Maltese person. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, there's eighty, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's really small, and most of them don't leave home. Um, there's been a couple punk rockers over the years. Um, Mopa Dean from Armed and Hammered. Yep. And there was a dude in the Tire Kickers. If that name rings a bell. Yeah, yeah. Tire. I recorded Tire Kickers. Yeah, there was the bass player. I think his name was Ivan or something. No way. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 So the Toronto music scene in the 90s is uh is something that I mean it's one of those weird it's one of those weird scenes where I don't know if it I don't think it does it exist I mean you're still in Toronto right Yes Yeah now is there is it still like, it used to be really tight like everybody used to hang at the Bev Tavern and you know and <laughs> hang out and and everybody knew each other there was a few dick bands but the dick bands didn't last long um yeah. but it was always like this scene does it still exist? Yeah, yeah. Of course it does. It's um, it evolves. Hmm. You know, you have to, you don't want to be one of those guys because okay, when when I was young in the early '90s, there was a lot of older punk rockers telling me like the scene sucks today. It's not like it used to be. Yeah, and I was always like, I can't be that guy when I right. get older. You know, yeah. you stop buying records after the first Fugazi album, right? <laughs> like, yeah, you know what I mean. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't. So yeah, there's definitely there's great bands playing right now. I can't speak too much on like how they all get along. Right. Obviously, I um I know uh, um I was DJing as well as a side gig, you know, um 15 years ago or so, 10 years ago, and I noticed a lot when I'd and I, as a DJ, I was booking bands. Like I'd have like a couple of bands playing. I'd DJ in the back room of the Bovine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I started realizing then that there was like shit. There's a lot of bands that I haven't even seen in Toronto yet. Yeah. And I'm like, where are you guys hanging out? Where do you play? Because yeah. like they weren't part of my circle. Yep. So it's definitely spread out and and grown. <laughs> is it getting older? Like, or, or is it just the same age group that just keeps moving up, or? Are there younger bands that sort of come in and fill the void where the older bands sort of like, or like, I guess the bigger question is, do you, do you feel like the old guy at the back of the punk club? A little bit of both. Yeah. 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 You know, I get up front. My, my, my wife makes me go up to the front row at the punk show still. So. <laughs> like arms crossed. <laughs> yeah. Shaking head. Like, yeah, this is all right, I guess. Yeah. yeah. She's just like, we got a damn babysitter. We're going up front. You know? Yeah. That's another thing too. Yeah, it's funny how like our age group s- just stayed home for a while and didn't go anywhere, didn't do anything. Mm. And now you can afford a babysitter. You want a babysitter? When you go out, it's like it it it's a it's a it's a happening. It's more of an actual thing. Like I have older kids. My kids are thirteen and uh, ter- turning fourteen next week and seventeen. So oh. so I have kids who don't think I'm cool anymore. I don't think I ever uh. really did. But they're like like my they just. They just go do things now. But how old's yours? Four. Four. Yeah. So you yeah. have you have one that's like they'll you know if you don't feed them they're gonna die. You have to feed them. <laughs> like my kids barely need me for anything anymore, except mm-hmm. for the car keys maybe. You know, 
But uh, so yeah, getting a bit, you know, the, 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 the interesting thing is when now you say you at a certain age, they can stay home for three hours at a time or they can, you know, or the, you know, that's the time when you're like, Oh yeah, dude, freedom. I'm ba- I got it. It's back. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, go ahead. As far as like uh, younger bands though, that's kind of funny. Cause when I, uh, when I was in the class assassins, I joined them after they'd already established themselves and they were all older than me. Like, Dave, the bass player, played in direct action. Yeah. And, and like, they were, like, five to ten years older than me, and I was the young guy in that band. And then um, I joined Plan 37, and then I was the opposite. Then I was well, the, the old guy. guy yes. they, were, they were all a little bit younger. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 So it was kind of funny. Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting, because I'm the older guy in the Fairmounts, but I'm not much older, but I am older, you know? Right. So, um. Yeah, I think Mikey's in his early forties. You know what I mean, Phil. I don't know how old Phil is. He, he he's he's. I think he's sixty-two. No, but it really, Phil's, I think the same age as me. We've we've been gigging together since the mid nineties. Yeah, well. yeah. So it's yeah. like, and Andrew's a little. Everybody's sort of like that one generation younger than me. So I'm sort of the elderly mm-hmm. statesman in that group. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's 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 an interesting concept of being able to like, being a band now and being being. I'm in my fifties and. I don't really take it as serious as I used to, but I'm okay with it, you know, because why take yourself too seriously? If you take it too seriously, then you're that dick that nobody wants to hang out with, you know, because you're grumpy. 100%. You know, so for me, it's more of a, it's a cool hang now, you know, rather than like the, we're going to, we're going to make it, you know what I mean? Like that, that, that whole reservation of like, yeah, this is. Of course, we're going to make these moves and do the things, you know, dude, I did everything I could to get out of Toronto. And all I do now is play in Toronto. So, right, right. And I'm okay with it. I'm sure you're okay with it, too. Yeah. I'm always just grateful to play anywhere now. I feel so like, 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 seriously, I walk into a venue and I'm like thanking everyone that's helped out with it because I'm just really grateful to be doing it still. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many people don't do that. You'd be surprised. Yeah, totally. There's people that walk yeah. into the bovine and never say anything to anybody. They just come do their gig and fucking leave. And you're like, are you kidding me? Like, man, this is this is how you make an impression. You go to the sound guy, you go, hey, man, thanks. And they're like, whoa, <laughs> like, what? You just, you just thanked me. Holy shit. This is amazing. You know, exactly. The first thing you do is learn your sound person's name. Yeah. Second thing you do is meet the bartender, yeah. you know, like just like get to know the people that are making it happen and taking care of you that night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I've been that house guy before. It's not a fun job. It's not a fun job. No, it's tough. <laughs> well, I got the record here. Um, I got it here. It's actually it's so funny. I wish I, I'll show it to you when I hit play. But I have this little pedal board thing, and it has this software I need to play it. But it looks like I'm looking at the ground. So right. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I, I'm gonna play it. Uh, okay, cool. I can't read it. Oh, shipwreck! I'm gonna play yeah. that song. Here it comes.
Actually, I will ask that question though. But you, you recorded this yourself yeah. in your home studio, right? Like your home thing. It yeah, went, yeah. And so you just you just got went and got stuff and did it, right? Yeah, I just picked up a used interface and a uh, tube amp, tiny stuff, a, a, a what, body um, condenser mic on Kijiji. Mm-hmm. And I'd always had. So I was a four track guy back in the day. Like as soon as I moved into a punk house, when I left home, like I went out and bought myself a four track and I would sit in that basement all night recording songs. And I have a hard drive full of uh, solo songs on our four track. You know, and, who just uh, put out a record is Ron, Ron Hawkins and the do good assassins just did put out are putting out a four track album. No That's, way. It's called two, four, six done, cool. on, done on the task cam two, four, six. And yeah. So obviously everything gets better computers get faster everything gets cheaper and ultimately things just sound better you know and if i listen to this and t- 10 years ago i go hey it sounds like you went somewhere because it has fidelity that doesn't really exist in that older stuff you know yes so in as you know as we go along we're going to start realizing and there's not a lot of trickery obviously you know there's, no no you know, no not really you know um bit of fixing not much. Yeah. I mean, like doubled my vocals, hmm. maybe tripled them in some spots, and then uh, called in a couple of friends for backup vocals. Um, Jesse Liberta, who's a great singer songwriter from out west, and my buddy Sean, who was in Plan Thirty Seven, got them to do some backups because that's the one thing that I miss when I play solo is having backup vocals. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I wanted to have Sean. I wanted to have Sean to do this. I was trying to get him to do this live podcast, 
where it was just him talking because he says some of the funniest things on earth in front of people. It's true. And uh, yeah. I wanted him to do this thing. And I don't know whatever. This is a five years ago, though, like over five oh. years ago now. <laughs> Because I'm like, I'm into, this is almost 280 episodes. And it was near the start. Whenever we, Fairmonts, we play with Plan 37, it would just be like fucking howling with laughter because the shit he would say was unbelievably funny. And, yeah. you know, because he never took himself too seriously. I think, yeah, never, really. So I, nope. I said, you should do a live podcast and just, I'll, I'll tape it. We'll do it. Oh, I wanted to do, punk, like, I wanted to be a karaoke show where he would be the, the host of it. But the karaoke was just to get him on stage. And the recording part would just be the recording of him. And the, the, the karaoke stuff would get edited out. That was, <laughs> that was my plan to get, get him because I thought he was a, he's just a walking comedian. Funny. Yeah, he's a funny guy. He really is. And you guys were all tight for a while, like Plan 37 and Fairmount. You yeah, we did were... a split seven inch, I think, too, right? Yeah. Well, you did. And if you remember correctly, I'm the one who did the photograph in the middle. <laughs> I did the, uh, they, they asked me to do the layout for that album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, I was trying to convince both bands to share the front cover instead of doing a cover each. Oh, right, 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 right. And, yeah. But you guys already had your idea of what you wanted to do with that. I think Kicked it's off Queen. photo of Queen Street. Yeah. yeah. And so then I was like, let's share the inside. I'll just do, <laughs> let's, let's all meet at the bovine. I'll take a photo of all the band hanging. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because we're in the back room, took that picture. That's a good picture, by the way. That, that it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, it's everybody's like, that's right. You know, yeah, there was a time. And is, Plan 37 is no more, right? Or are they still? No, we, we, we took a break. An infinite. Never really, yeah. yeah. Hiatus. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, there were good times, man, because yeah, nobody, like obviously Fairmonts don't take themselves too seriously because it takes six, record, six years to put out your second record, which isn't out yet, by the way. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. The funny thing about that Fairmonts record is the first album's got my son playing like the fake pots and pans drums. Oh, is that your son? Yeah, but That's he's 10. Photo. He's 10 in that picture. Wow. He's 17 now. So what we did is we got my daughter and my son to be in the, on the front cover of the new album. And he's like, he was 16 oh. at the time, or 16 or 15. But like we, we've been working on this two-day record for like two years. It's been going on two years now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, COVID, COVID didn't help, but I mean, definitely it's all on us for being procrastinators for sure. Well, where are you at? You just need to get vocals or we, something? No, we have the test pressing back. So oh, it's okay, pretty close. Like it's, yeah. So Mikey's heard the test pressing. It's all mastered. Everything's done. It's just not... Like I forget how to play the song. So like if someone said, okay, uh, f uh, September 2nd, we got our first awesome show and it's going to be all new songs, it'd be a lot of cramming at my, my end. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's funny. Yeah. So, yeah. So have you ever... I mean, is Plan 37 ever going to plan to do anything else? Like, is that... Like... You know, I, I did... Um, Sean and I stay in touch fairly regularly. We're usually talking about uh wrestling or <laughs> or punk rock and uh mm. i messaged him about a month ago and i was like dude when this shit's all done i'd be totally down for a one-off plan 37 show and and he wrote back and his exact words were i don't hate that idea <laughs> so um <laughs> so that's a yes as far as i'm yeah, concerned <laughs> yeah um you know it, it'll take some work because uh johnny bratt actually went and bought himself a bar oh yeah yeah yeah, so he's got mom's basement on the east end of Toronto. And so we're all kind of busy, but if we could manage to put a, a gig, get a gig under our belts next year, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, 
No, I agree. I agree. That's because that's a nice little chunk of uh, Toronto history for sure. You know, yeah, when you when you guys band. got Cindy in the band, it just the whole thing really just took off. You know, yeah. playing wise and performance and just yeah, that that was a, it was a band that was kind of going places in my opinion. It's great. Yeah, I was I was stoked when I joined the band because uh, Sean's a great songwriter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you. Uh, so are you going to be eventually doing shows on this solo thing, this acoustic thing, or what, what is your, what is your plans? Yeah, most definitely. I was, you know, if we'll see where things go, but like, um, I feel like I'm in a position to probably do a gig sometime soonish, maybe like, I mean, I don't have to do a conventional gig no, because I'm, I could go play like at a park if I wanted to, I suppose. Yeah. I could go play uh, outside of a laundromat. I don't know. Like, I don't have to play. I don't have a band, so I don't have to be confined to a stage in a small club. Yeah. Right? So uh, I'm just not sure how I feel about it yet. But, um, but yeah, once this all clears up, I'd like to play a whole bunch of shows. Yeah. You're, Definitely hit yeah. a little bit. And, you know, being yourself, it's like you don't need to rent a van. <laughs> you don't need to worry about other people's schedules. Um, it's just your schedule. That's the joy yeah. of doing your own thing, for sure. Yeah, I've I've literally taken the bus to Montreal to play solo gigs and and to Hamilton and things like that. I'll, I'm pretty easy going. Yeah, no man. Yeah, well, it's it's a great record. Let's hear the other song. It's the cover, right? Yep, I hear the show. Here it yeah. comes.
Oh shit, song's over. That was fast. <laughs> uh, we were just talking. Oh yeah, so I'm just I'm working on this 3D printer. Just works 24/7 on just projects, my own personal projects. And I also build this little thing for theater. I can grab one. I think that that's that actually controls theater software. Oh, that's cool. So you can do more than one computer with it. So when you hit the green button, it presses play on two computers. So that's a panic. Right. And then, so these little boxes I've been building, I've sold about, this is the new design. You can't see it on, on the audio podcast. But there's, um, this, I've sold about 20 of these, like all over the place. Like I sold one to a guy in uh, Las Vegas and he was operating a, a fireworks show for New Year's. So he, uh. he sh- sent me a video of him pressing play on this thing, which set off all the fireworks and stuff in Las Vegas. So that was kind of cool. Nice. Yeah. So that's what that 3d printer does. It, it right now it's sick. I have to, I have to fix it up. It's a little bit jacked up. This little thing here is a volume switch that I built that, that controls, um, the volume on my console. So I can oh, actually, cool. yeah. So it's a little servo motor thing. That's my, I just get all nerdy and finicky about stuff. Like, yeah. What, what is your job? What's, what's your career? Uh, graphic designer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're close. You're still, you know, you're yes. not like uh, I'm a foreman at a plastic factory. You know, no. No, it was like uh, during the uh, ten or yeah, ten, ten, twelve years or so that I was just focusing on music and gigging as much as possible. You know, you still have to hold down some little odd part-time jobs here and there, right? Yeah. So like I did, like uh, I did. I worked in bars. I did some photography work. I was, I worked for a professional dumpster diver at one point and I like <laughs> sold all his stuff he found on eBay for oh, free cycle stuff. Worked, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I worked at call centers. I ran a booze can. I did all kinds of things and I always did graphic design work and not because I was a graphic designer really yeah. because I was a guy with Photoshop and I knew the fundamentals of design. Yeah. So, and then when, you know, when I had to jump back on my career path, I was like, fuck, I'm a graphic designer. I've like mm. done like 10 album covers now and I've done gig posters for everyone. And so that's how that came about. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that you were like, uh, that you were touring with bands that you weren't in. I didn't know that about you until <laughs> I listened to your uh, Cone episode. Yeah. And you were like, you were, you were on the road with Sum 41 back in the early days. The right. very early days. Yeah, I was their first tour manager, sound man slash everything guy. Um, really? Eh? On their first major label tour. And we did our first real tour was opening for Face to Face. And then we went open for Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. And, and I toured with SNFU yes. in, their, in the mid-90s. Uh, I toured with SNFU throughout 95, throughout like 2001, I guess, by the end of it all. So, yeah, Voivod. I've toured all these other bands, but... Yeah, that's actually how I made my money. I, I didn't make my money playing in bands. I made my money working for bands. It was sort of yes. my my trade, you know what I mean? Just like graphic, <laughs> that de- makes sense. graphic design is your trade, but you're yeah. still close. That's the whole cool thing about, you know, that sort of thing. You're not completely exiting the scene. You're stepping aside and finding a way to integrate yourself into the scene. That's important. You know, that's, it's good. It keeps you you, right? Oh, exactly. And every time I get, so like I work for an agency, right. Mm -hmm. But I still do some freelance work on the side. And every time I get asked to do like, uh, artwork for a band, uh, gig posters or, uh, record covers, I'm always like, 
yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I'm still getting to do something that's connected to punk rock. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the Sum 41 thing there, um, quick story, I used to work in television and film. And I worked at this company called Blackwalk Productions. And um, all day, record labels were in and out of the place all the time, meeting with our directors and stuff, because we did music videos nonstop. And one day, somebody from, I can't remember their name, uh, from Universal, I think it was, or Island or something, comes mm-hmm. walking in. And anytime there was anything punk rock related, they always showed it to me or played it for me to get my opinion, <laughs> which was funny. And they sl- threw this VHS tape on my desk. And it just said some 41 EPK. Oh, that. Yes. Yeah. And they were like, check this out. I'm like, what is it? They're just like, we're signing this band this week and we're signing them on this EPK. Like, check this shit out. It's so awesome. And I pop it in and it's just like, you know, really good pop punk. And it's just these guys with super soakers spraying everyone on the streets and then stealing pizzas and, and doing all this shit. If I remember and then doing like boy band dancing and just, it was really fun. It was like an episode of Jackass, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, damn, they got, you know, I don't blame them. Like, it was a good call on the record label to, to snatch them up because they were young, they were writing good songs, and they were a lot of fun, right? Absolutely. There was a time where they were showcasing at Ted's Wrecking Yard, and I was doing sound for them because I actually was the house guy at Ted's Wrecking Yard for a very, very brief time. But I worked for oh, Treble cool. Charger, and that was my in to some 41, is I worked for Treble Charger, and I got transferred manager, over right? to, yeah, because they had the same, the manager was Greg. So I got transferred over to some 41, and actually, in all honesty, like in like 99-ish, when they were really trying to get signed and everything, I didn't get it. You know, I didn't understand it. I saw the EPK, and it completely, completely changed my opinion, and yeah. that's after I started, like I started touring with them just after that. And it really, it really sort of ingrained the fact that these guys, although they're 17 and 18 years old at the time, they get it. They understand what it is to sort of put work in and do what they need to do. Nothing's going to be really handed to them. And um, they definitely like, I can't give them enough credit because not only did they just sort of support, they supported Foursquare, my band. Like they took us to, they let us play with them in Europe. Like. Oh, that's, who would do that? Rough. Nobody would do that. Yeah. No, I don't even think I would. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, and here they are. They're supporting, and not only once, but they did it twice. So I get to open up for some forty-one in Europe in front of like two to four thousand people with my shitty band, and they were like just good dudes, you know. And the good thing about like the thing about that is I, I did one tour. Mark Belke from SNFU was the guitar tech, and he kind of needed to get out of Vancouver and. I brought I brought Mark along because I said, "Oh, well, I can get you a gig. It's like a hundred bucks a day, but I can get you a gig doing guitars for some forty one." He goes, "Yeah, sure. I just need to get out of the out of the country. I need to get out of Vancouver." <laughs> and there was a time we we're sitting at this restaurant, and Derek is like just doing rail slides on his skateboard and just doing jumps and just like. And Mark looked at him and goes, "That kid's the real deal." And when Mark Belke of SNFU, who toured throughout the yeah. 80s, when there was not even concrete st- between Thunder Bay, there was not even like asphalt laid down. It was dirt roads, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. If he can look at, at, at Derek, go, yeah, he's the real deal. He's a good kid. I like him. It's like, holy shit, that, there's not more of a validation you can ask for. It's know? true. That's it. You know, and Fletcher loved them from, and from Pennywise, and Fletcher was always like a prick to all bands. Right. And uh, uh, Carrie King from Slayer, like there's all these oh, dudes shit. would just sort of come to their side and go, "Yeah, I get it, I get it," you know. <laughs> <It's-> and <laughs> and they're pretty humble guys. Yeah. Like um, Dave, uh, 
Dave's one of the best producers I've ever worked with. Yeah. He has his home studio and I, uh, I actually recorded three different records with him. Yeah. Does he still have it? On, I'm not, I think he does, but it's not the same setup as it used to be. It right. used to be called the gentleman's den. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, I went in there with the class assassins and we recorded a seven inch and it was such a great experience. I went back with another band of mine called the dogs. We did a seven inch and then I brought another band of mine called whiskey. Hearts, yeah, and we yeah, did another yeah. seven inch. And I just kept on telling Dave, I'm like, dude, just like set me up with the best you can. Like, just like, let's give it some, some love and I'll promise you I'll release it on vinyl. Yeah. 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 You know, you record a lot of bands and the recordings don't ever even see light of day sometimes. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was most of them really. I mean, really, honestly, yeah. that was a lot of them. Were, and if there was a band that became um, like got some heat behind them or something, it usually be the demo before they went and recorded the album, like the real album, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. that's fine. I mean, I was okay with that. I recorded a lot of that early stuff for half hour power. Well, it was my studio. I didn't actually record. It, it was Greg. But he would just take my studio and they would just do all demos and stuff there. And same with Trouble Charger. They they rented the place for like two weeks. And that was good for me because I didn't really have like sometimes having a studio, it's really tough to find work when you're doing work, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yes, I'm sure you yep. get it with, 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 with graphic design. It's like get all this work and then you do all the work and you don't have that time to go find more work. So therefore, you don't have work to come back to. Very feast, That's or, right. feast or famine kind of thing. That's why I stopped being freelance. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, sometimes. Yeah. In your studio, did you ever get a lot of use out of that big pipe with the fork or the knife that used to hit? The big pipe. Do you remember that? Oh, so you yeah. 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 That's right. I used that. Oh, man. I used that a few times. I used it on a two line filler album. Oh. <gasps> Yeah, and that list, listener, the listener LP has at the very end. It's like a, I think it's a hidden track or it's an acoustic song, and I just hit it with a wrench, a couple of wrenches. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shit, yeah, I remember. <laughs> it that. made it on my. It made it on my recording. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That place was neat, man. It's not there anymore. It's it's uh, after I moved out about I think three months or four months later, there was a fire uh, on the upstairs part. There was a gentleman's club or like a gentleman's like it wasn't like a, a strip bar, but it was like the place where the the men hung out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this kind of weird card playing place. I don't know how mm -hmm. legal it was, but um, but they caught a fire and then all the the sprinkler systems destroyed the whole bottom floor. So so oh, now shit. it's a, now it's a bank. So I walk by it sometimes, and because um, that Red House uh, School of Music is owned by right. a friend of mine, and and I sometimes do some recordings on the second floor up there, and that's where Lois and Low keep all their stuff. So I go in and out there a lot. But I go by that place when I go to Nova Era, and I look inside to see if there's anything that even recognize I can even recognize, and it's all yeah. it's all gone. It used to be a grocery store. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, Greg Norrie, every day he'd come in, he'd steal a bottle of water because he kept the water. Because remember that hallway? There was the hallway. Yes. And then their storage door was at the back just before he went my door. That door on the left, you could just walk right into, the, into that grocery store. And that's where they stored water. And Greg would just go in and grab a bottle of water and come inside. <laughs> and he was like, dude, you can't just steal water. They're my neighbors. What are they? You fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, man. I um, yeah. I, I I wish you well. I hope. I hope. Like, goddamn. Who knows when all this stuff's gonna like blow over? And you know, I work in theater, so nobody's saying anything to maybe January. So, you know. 
Yeah, we've, I don't know. If, uh, I've heard like just to expect nothing different for 2021. Yeah. You know, I have no idea. I just know that my kid is going to school next month and yeah. I'm like, how? Yeah. No, it's, it's pretty nuts, man. But I mean, obviously, yeah, because your kid wouldn't have been in school. No, she was in, in preschool, daycare. Yeah. And then it shut down, so she's been home with us for the last five or six months, yeah. which has been very difficult yeah. to work, because <laughs> we're both working from home. And it's, yeah, 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 yeah. I talked to, she starts junior. I talked to a friend of mine who who has also worked from home, and he has a three-year-old. And I go, how's, how's that going? He goes, well, we're down to one freak out a day. I'm like, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, but I yeah, it's it sucks because kids are social animals, man. They need to be around other kids, need to play, and they understand boundaries and you know, it's tough. It's tough. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, I'm my daughter's number one playmate now. Yeah. And I'm cool. Like I'm I don't mind this kind of stuff, but it's challenging sometimes. Like the mm-hmm. games that I have to get really creative and find things for us to do. So we're playing like hide and seek in the dark with flashlights and, and just like, you know, are you doing the, uh, like who can be the quietest, the longest? I bet you, I can. <laughs> oh, we do that in the car often. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite game. And they were like, yeah. I win. I won every time, every time I won. Um, but yeah, you can't take them to daycare. That was one thing we had when we had young kids, we just take your kids to daycare and then go work and do the things you need to do and then come home. And everybody's such a challenge that everybody's dealing with. And you know, as Canadians, we're kind of, we're kind of. This is our thing. This is our calling, right? Like we're supposed to be polite people. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I think everybody's getting their boiling point, man. Like, because if this turns into this time next year, and everybody's gonna be wearing a mask, you're gonna be wearing. I'm gonna. Wear, I got new masks. I'm gonna have cool masks that fit my shirt and stuff. Um. But. But, there still needs to be social activities people need to talk with each other you know go to clubs and go to shows you know yep definitely 100 percent um yeah and like masks i mean i've just been living with bandanas around my neck for the last you know five months yeah it's just been my thing because you look you're gonna look like a bank robber from the 1800s like a stagecoach i couldn't find a good mask that could um fit on my face with my beard yeah no, I have a beard too, and, and it looks weird. I, I, yeah, it's a weird yeah. one. Yeah. So the bandana rocks. It, it works perfect. <laughs> well, you know, the thing with my work is that when we start opening for public, the mask right. I bring in won't be the mask we get to use. We'll have to use masks that are approved by our city, by oh, the city. So the mask I wear will be a different mask that I wear when I'm going to the store. So it'll hmm. stay within, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be in. Uh, it's gonna be such a just for fifty people. Like I hope they open it up because the work we're putting into this is 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 crazy. It's crazy. Wow. The stuff, the planning, and you know nobody's. We're writing policy that no one's ever written before. You know, and it's just like it sounds ridiculous sometimes, but it's the way it's gonna be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I uh, yeah, I hope everything goes well with this. It's good. It's uh, it's great. I love that. It. It's good feeling. Only two songs. Cool, thank you. Only two songs, thank though, you. man. What's what's up? Yeah, uh, just two songs for now. Maybe I'll release a couple more. Yeah, soon enough. Well, let me know every time. Yeah, when you do it, we'll 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 keep we we'll keep doing this because I oh, that'd I, be great. I love yeah, it. I love it too. Yeah. Okay, man. Thanks. Thank you very much.
And that was Mr. Cactus Villa. Yeah, nice chat. Thanks, Cactus, for doing the show. Also, thanks, Melanie Kay, for hooking up this interview. Melanie Kay is a publicist based in Toronto and works for a lot of record labels, mostly Little Rocket Records and Fat Records and a bunch of local indie artists. Yeah, it's good to know that somebody's out there finding interviews because God knows it's hard. You know, I'm almost 200, I'm almost 300 episodes in here. I would say that Melanie's responsible for at least 100 of them, at least, at least. And thank you, Melanie, again. Well, uh, it's been great. So anyways, what's happening next week? I'm not going to put a podcast out next week because I'm on vacation. And I haven't put one in the bank, so uh, I'll be camping. So I won't be around anything to do anything. But I do know that I will be riding Saturday, April, or Saturday, August 29th for the Ride to Conquer Cancer. I'm doing my own ride. It's not too late. I, if anybody follows me on Facebook, um, you can find the links. I'll put some more links in this episode too to donate my for my ride. I don't have to come up with an amount of money like I did last year, but uh, I'm trying to get as much as possible. And I know everybody's suffering financially, but if it's five, ten bucks, it's it's all it all makes a difference. So yeah. Anyways, next week no podcast. Riding uh, over 100 kilometers. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. So be good, be safe, wash your hands, wear a mask. Or is it called a face covering? It's a mask. The shield is a little overboard. But you can wear that too if you want. Do whatever gets you uh, have, makes you happy. Okay? Have a good day. Have a good week. Talk to you soon. Bye.